0: Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for being here for another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Uh, Before Greg Bluestein and I get into our conversation with Cody Hall, who's the Director of Communications and a Senior Advisor to the Kemp Campaign, we'll introduce Cody in a second, uh, a couple of quick announcements. First of all, many of you uh, will remember that late last week we had Stacey Abrams, campaign manager, on the show and gave her uh, almost half the show to talk about how their campaign is shaping up how she feels about the race. And so today we do the same with the chem campaign out of a sense of fairness, obviously. But then I want to give you my version, sort of a public service announcement. You know, the new COVID booster has been available for about a week or so. And anybody who's listened to this show for a while knows I'm a huge, huge advocate for everybody uh, getting that booster, getting vaccinated assuming you can i went out and got my third booster shot yesterday and it's interesting the pharmacy i went to say they were said to, that they were uh, giving about 70 booster shots a day since a week ago when they first got the supply of the vaccine the booster vaccine which is contrary to what we're hearing uh, in a lot of news stories at least about what's happening across the country which is that people are not quite as interested in getting another booster shot. So my pitch today is it went really well. I'm feeling terrific today, no problems at all. So as I've said for a long time, if you can go out and get vaccinated, I hope you'll consider doing that. All right, let's get right into it. Greg Bluestein, I'm really glad you're here uh, to talk with uh, Cody Hall. Um, before we introduce him, Greg, we should say that yesterday, of course, we talked a lot about your poll, the AJC poll, which showed Brian Kemp with a significant edge over Abrams as we move toward the final stage of the race. There are a lot of Democrats who complained about the sample of the poll saying it was oriented towards Republicans or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, um, while I understand why they would want to counter, um, we now are seeing a number of polls which all point in the same direction. And they do show Kemp as late as today, a CBS YouGov poll, uh, well over 50% against Abrams, right?
1: Yeah, Bill, it seems like it's poll week because not only did our poll come <laughs> out, but we have polls from Monmouth coming out. We've got polls from the Q poll came out last week. We've got CBS YouGov. We have other polls coming out. So, And, and they're beginning to show a trend. Um, and it's not a surprising trend. It's not a surprising trend to even Abrams' campaign either. Uh, they've long acknowledged they're the underdog in this race. And uh, we've, we've seen her back three, four, five, six points. The AJC poll had her back eight points. So it was a little bigger than, than most polls. But in general, if you look at the margin of error, most of the polls show her behind four or five points. Not, uh, not ground that she cannot make up, right? This is not a huge swath, but it's, it is getting late. We've got less than two months left. And so lots of <laughs> lots more political talking to do. With that
0: said, let's introduce Cody Hall. As I said, Cody is director of communications and a senior advisor to the campaign. Cody, um, you started out on the Kemp campaign in 2018. Uh, When he won that race, you went into the communications office as his press secretary, and now you've uh, gone back uh, to the campaign itself. Welcome to Political Rewind, Cody.
2: Absolutely. It's great to be back, yeah. August 2nd of this year um, was four years of doing communications for the governor, and uh, it's been like doing communications in dog years, but it's been fun. So, <laughs> All right, Cody, I wanted to do the
0: same thing with you that I did with Lauren last week, and that is give you a chance just to make your statement about where the race stands from your point of view and where you're headed in this race, the issues that you think are going to resonate with voters. It's an open question, Cody, that you can take any direction you'd like.
2: Sure, well, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, at least from my perspective on the angle that I bring to this campaign. I I was press secretary in the 2018 campaign, so um, I have a little bit of of context around the Kemp v. Abrams dynamic. Um, And I think this campaign is different. A little bit different focus on the issues, obviously, the economy, inflation, cost of living is far and away the top issue that that voters are telling pollsters, at least, that they care about. Um, Obviously, the dynamic in terms of the political environment is a little bit different. Um, We are now running in in the midterm or the first midterm of a president of the opposing party instead of the same party. Um, That obviously plays some into this race. Um, but also this time around, the governor has a record to run on. Um, I think in 2018, um, the Abrams campaign did a very good job of defining the governor, um, obviously not in a positive light. Um, And I think we were at a disadvantage coming out of a bruising primary, limited resources in the general. That led to a very close race with a bad national environment for Republicans. I think this campaign is slightly different in that, you know, Obviously, the governor did not have a a bruising runoff. We did have a a primary, but I I feel like, and it, it looks like with hindsight, that that primary allowed the governor to define himself among Republicans, shore up some folks that may have not been sure about whether or not they were going to support the governor for a second term. And while we are getting outspent, two to one on TV. Um, We have broken fundraising records on the Republican side and the governor's been able to at least keep pace with the Abrams fundraising uh, machine. Um, And look, while the polls are, they look good now, uh, we have always expected this to be a close race um, because both of the candidates are so well-defined. The issues, um, obviously, we believe line up more with what the governor's record is and his vision for the future. So we feel good but uh, it's going to be a tight race all the way to the finish.
1: Cody a question that I've always been curious from like on a personal level you know we in the media we write about each of these polls um, especially our own polls you know we 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 use them to ground our our coverage a lot but from a campaign perspective when you see polls like you did last week with the race being razor thin and you see polls like you do this week several polls showing it not so close how do you kind of internally work that out with your not just with your you know your fellow staffers, but also donors and supporters who might freak out over every single poll because I certainly hear it.
2: Yeah, that is a a, a really good question. Um, I, I think well, first and foremost, you have to have confidence in your internal data that um, the folks that you brought in from a polling perspective in the campaign know what they're doing. And have a good pulse of where the electorate is. And those folks are willing to tell you when things are going wrong, but also when things are going right. So I think that it starts with that. Number two, I I think it goes to kind of our overall philosophy in this campaign is to block out the noise um, and to stay focused, that you can have a poll that shows you tied or down one, and then you can have a a poll that shows you up eight. Um, If Your internal data is showing that the issues that voters care about are the issues you're talking about and proposing real-world solutions to. You have to have confidence in that message, regardless of whatever a poll may say. And I think that that's one of the things that, um, you know, I've seen over the last 24 hours where a lot of Democrats have um, been saying, you know, unskew the polls. As a Romney voter in 2012, I can tell you that back then, to unskew the polls, you know, that was a really um, popular uh, sentiment on the Republican side, and it did not turn out that way. Um, But look, we're going to have bad polls. We're going to have good polls. I think you have to have confidence in your gut of where the electorate is, and you have to have confidence in your message to reach those folks. And you have to be willing to push back. When internal folks and external folks, whether it be donors or supporters, reach out and are like, oh, my goodness, what, what's up with this poll? You have to be willing to say, look, guys, it's a long race. We've got a long way to go. Um, we have to stay focused on what our message is.
1: Uh, Cody, the governor hardly campaigned in the Atlanta suburbs back in 2018. He preferred to campaign in rural Georgia and help drive up the margins, Republican margins, uh, in some cases even higher than Donald Trump. Uh, Right now, we've we've so far seen the governor also focus on deep red areas in rural Georgia. But could that start to change with Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin's visit next week to Alpharetta? Can we start seeing um, the governor focusing a little bit more on on the metro and the suburbs that Republicans have lost over the last few election cycles?
2: Yeah, I I think even in the last four years, the governor has spent a lot of time in metro Atlanta and the metro communities outside of Atlanta, Augusta, Savannah, Columbus, Macon. Um, And I think that he has done a really good job and put in the work, him and the entire family, of going out to these areas, meeting folks where they are, whether it's job announcements or just touring the local college, university. He's done a lot of that over the last four years. But look, I think um, much to the extent that um, Abrams is doing, we felt like, You've got to make sure that your folks hear you, hear the message of this election, how important it is, and make sure the base is motivated. Um, but yeah, we are absolutely going to spend time in Metro Atlanta. Um, we, will, As you mentioned, we have Governor Yunkin coming to Alpharetta next week. Um, we're going to be spending a lot more time there. Um, but I think it's also, you know, the governor's holding events that may not necessarily be public campaign bus stop events in Metro Atlanta. So yes, you'll see more of that. Um, but look, we also have to fight this campaign on the airways and the mailboxes, um, on the ground. And we're going to continue to do that in Metro Atlanta. And I feel good that the dynamic of this race is much better for us in those areas than it was in 2018. Um, so we're going to continue to lean into that.
0: Um, Cody, uh, uh Greg mentions Glenn Yonkin and, uh, we should talk about, uh, uh, how Glenn Youngkin balanced his, uh, his uh, feelings about uh, Donald Trump against trying to run his own campaign in Virginia. And, of course, you've done the same thing here and on this show and in other media. Uh, you've gotten a lot of credit uh, for the fact that you never, ever uh, punched back during all the times that Donald Trump was attacking Brian Kemp. Um, you always kept cool about it. Well... Now we understand that Donald Trump is likely to hold a rally here in the some period of time before the election. I think maybe after the Walker Warnock debate on October 14th. Um, how how do you imagine handling uh, that uh, Cody? Do you, does your candidate get up on the stage with Donald Trump? What are you thinking as you try to figure that out?
2: Yeah. So I, I don't know that we've reached a final conclusion, but I, I, I would say that we will probably approach any potential rally by the former president like we had previous rallies. Um, and, I, you know, that's going to be our continued approach on this issue. I mean, the governor's been um, remarkably on message and to the point about um, the former president's impact in this race and in our, in our primary. Um, but if you go back and look at the results from May, the governor got 74 percent of Georgia Republicans that – uh, supported him for a second term. Um, I think all three of the public polls out this week and previous ones show that he has over 90% of support among Georgia Republicans. So the governor is a leader of the party in our state, um, and we feel good about our support among all Republicans across the spectrum, whether you're a comp voter or whether you're not. Um, I think it's incumbent upon us that no matter who comes down, whether it's President Biden or former President Trump, that we stay focused on the mesh on the message that resonates with voters. Because at the end of the day, voters are not interested in hearing politicians go back and forth at each other about who's right, who's wrong, or you know who has the right on any issue. They wanna hear what you are doing for them, because right now they're hurting at the grocery store, they're hurting at the gas pump, they're hurting when they pay rent, and they wanna know how their leaders are actually doing things that impact their lives, not squabbling back and forth.
0: Well, okay, I, that, that said, I. I There is going to come a moment when Donald Trump very likely will stand up on a stage somewhere in the state of Georgia and probably talk more about himself (laughs) than about Republican candidates. But so you're saying you're undecided. You didn't the last I'm trying to remember the exact number and Bluestein will know this. You did, in fact, have at least one rally with uh, 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 Trump at one point, but you avoided others, right? Uh, I'm talking now about during the um, runoff campaign, the Senate runoff campaign, when Trump was down here, and the governor could have been at the Trump rallies, but to the best of my recollection, didn't go to be with Trump.
2: Yeah, and Greg may have a better a recollection of this than I do. Um, I, I have some PTSD from that area of my life, uh, Bill, as you can, <laughs> as you can imagine. Um, but yes, yeah, so there was a runoff. Uh, rally in the Senate runoffs, and the governor actually had to uh, quarantine because he had been exposed to COVID-19. So he was not able to be at one of them. Um, But look, whatever the the former president, if he decides to come and whatever he decides to say, our approach will continue to be that it does not have an impact on what our campaign is going to be saying or doing in the final weeks of the campaign because we don't think that's where voters are, um, and that's what we're in the business of doing is is trying to win more votes than the, than our opponent on election day.
1: So uh, there were two runoff rallies and two rallies since the runoff that the president, the former president Trump, has has engineered here in Georgia, and uh, I'm just kind of reading between the lines when Cody says. You're going to continue the same posture that you did with the with recent yeah. rallies. I mean, that I means not showing up because the governor wasn't at any of those four rallies. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, and he was the he was the you know the main talking point in in uh, several of those rallies. Kind Let me ask you this: um, mm. our polls, other polls, every poll, mostly uh, just about every poll, shows the economy Trumps, but of course, abortion remains a significant factor to a, a significant number of Georgia voters. So tell us here, what, what does the governor plan to do, if anything, next year when it comes to anti-abortion restrictions? Does he plan to revisit the state's 2019 law that's now in effect and make newer changes, or does he want to hold path?
2: No, we don't plan on, on pursuing any new legislation. I mean, the governor's been pretty clear that his focus is going to be on implementing and defending the heartbeat bill. Um, but look, he has also said that he is not a dictator. There are 180 House members and 56 senators um, that can weigh in on any given issue. um, And we will work with them on whatever issues that they bring forward. But in terms of our priorities, no, that's not on the list.
0: But, Cody, that's an important thing to say, because when uh, the heartbeat bill uh, finally passed, we we should go back to before the time that it was introduced and eventually passed and was signed into law by the governor, Um, uh, Kemp and Speaker Ralston, Really didn't want to go as far as the heartbeat bill did end up going, and there was this sense that uh, Republicans really pushed and said, "No, if we're going to do this, we've got to make it as restrictive as possible." So when you say that um, the governor's not a dictator, if 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 there is a sentiment in the legislature, assuming it's controlled by Republicans again and he's reelected to keep pushing harder, our past experiences, is that uh, a Ralston and Kemp may not have a choice but to go along with even tougher restrictions.
2: So the one thing I, I would say there, are bills and I remember this very well, the heartbeat bill only passed by one vote in the House. And mm-hmm. um, Republicans will more than likely have a slimmer majority than they did when that vote came up. Um, and I think that uh, the Speaker um, has also made clear through, I think, the Jolt and the AJC that uh, he has a a list of priorities and that issue was not among them. But look again, you know, um, the speaker also does not control what a specific legislator drops in terms of legislation. Um, And we're going to have to address that issue if it comes up. But again, I think both the governor and the speaker have been clear about what their priorities are and that's not necessarily on the list.
1: Okay.
0: Thank you, Greg.
1: So Cody, the governor has been able to announce all sorts of spending using federal dollars from legislation that he and other Republicans have opposed. State law gives him the power to control those dollars, but how does he reconcile his opposition to the federal spending laws, these big federal packages, coronavirus relief um, aid, uh, infrastructure dollars, and, uh, and most recently, the Inflation Reduction Act, the federal tax and climate bill, with his ability to use those dollars as he wishes during an election year campaign?
2: Yeah, I, I actually appreciate that question, Greg, because I think there's been some misinformation by the other side on this issue. Um, obviously, the governor supported the CARES Act, which was the uh, federal spending package under the Trump administration, because that, that piece of legislation allocated federal coronavirus relief dollars equitably to all states. It was a per capita basis. What ARPA did, the American Re- Rescue Plan that was voted on um, in the Biden administration, supported by Senators Warnock and Ossoff, it took into account what your unemployment rate was. So if you had a lower unemployment rate, AKA if you're Georgia and reopened early and you had a lower unemployment rate, than some blue states like New York and California, you got less money per capita than they did. That has always been the governor's point is that if you're going to do a federal relief, it should be fair and equitable, just like it was done under the CARES Act, that's not how they approached Zanolta, and that was, his, that was his concern, and that was what he advocated for the senators to put into the legislation to make it fair and equitable. They did not do that. The money was sent anyways, and the governor believes that it's his responsibility as the state's chief executive to make sure that those dollars are spent wisely on things that needed funding, whether it's rural broadband, water and sewer infrastructure, um, negative economic impact among small businesses, Um, And he was going to do that because that's what he would have done under CARES Act dollars, and that's what he did under CARES Act dollars.
0: Uh, But we should point out that uh, money that was appropriated during the Biden administration, which every Republican in Georgia's congressional delegation voted against, is now being distributed and has been distributed to congressional districts where Republicans were opposed to the spending in the first place, right? Right.
2: Yeah, and I think, I don't want to speak for the for Republican delegation, but I think that a lot of their concerns were along the lines of what the governor's concerns were, that if you're going to do federal relief, it should be fair and equitable, and New York and California should not be given more dollars just because they have a, hundred, a higher unemployment rate when compared to Georgia.
1: All
0: right, let me, um, let me give you a chance to uh, think about how the opposition is uh, framing their campaign and ask you... Um, whether what you're seeing in focus groups and internal polling uh, uh, either uh, supports or argues against their position. So what I mean by that is we know that Abrams, once again, um, is arguing for a full expansion of Medicaid and uh, thinks that that your uh, boss uh, has made a mistake by the limited expansion uh, that doesn't reach as many people. Um, They are arguing that uh, the gun laws passed uh, in the last years uh, during your tenure, the proliferation of guns is a big issue that's contributing to violence. When you look at how your, like I said, your internal polling, your focus groups see those kinds of issues, how resonant are those issues?
2: Look, I think our internal data, um, by and large, matches up with a lot of what you've seen publicly over the last 48 hours, where inflation cost of living is, by and and large, the top issue for voters. But I think that that what you're seeing is that the Abrams campaign realizes that they have a base problem, which is why they are focusing on these issues that activate and motivate the Democratic base. And I think if you look at some of these public polling, you will see why they are concerned. Um, I think you had Rick Dent um, on the show a while ago, and he said that For Democrats in Georgia, they have the 30-30 rule that the overall electorate needs to be at least 30% black, and that for a Democrat to win statewide, they have to win 30% of the white vote. Well, there's a couple issues for the Abrams campaign in the latest public polling. She is below 30% in all three of the public polls among the black vote. Um, She's at 24, 26, and 28 in those polls, while the governor is at double digits among black voters at 10, 13, and 14%. So I think what you're seeing is, and she's also not winning quite 30% of the white vote. So I, I think what you're seeing is they're having problems winning over the white Democrats that usually support them, but then they're also having problems with black voters that have not come home completely. So that's why I think they're focusing on these voters and it's probably smart, but I think that's also why we are focusing on the top issue people care about, the economy, jobs, and inflation.
0: So, uh, Greg, I want to give you another chance. Before I do, um, first of all, Cody, thanks for listening to the show. But I also (laughs) want to point out that on our show yesterday, when we talked about the AJC polling that shows Abrams still only drawing about 80 percent of the black vote, um, Andra Gillespie said she fully expects that black voters will come home by Election Day and probably push up substantially that 80% number, which has to happen if she has any chance of winning. Greg?
1: Yeah, well, 80% sounds like a lot. Yeah, she needs to be more like 90, 95, and 10% of those black voters um, were undecided. <laughs> yeah. But another 10% were going to camp and even getting double digits for Republican is, is somewhat of a victory. Um, Cody... Uh, <sighs> I'm not exaggerating by saying Stacey Abrams has put out 100 policies, right? She has put out um, policies ranging from climate change to education to the economy uh, to affordable housing, all sorts of issues that that in in, in the case of affordable housing rarely gets talked about in statewide campaigns. Governor Kemp has only issued a few second term specific policy agendas when it comes to tax rebates and educational issues. When do you think we'll hear more specifics on what the governor would do in a second term if he's elected in November?
2: Well, look, I I think you'll hear more on economic development and then public safety from us. But I think the reason why you're seeing so many different policy issues from the Abrams campaign is that um, at the end of the day, she may want to be governor, but eventually she wants to be president. And in order to do that, you have to show a wide variety of Democratic voters that you care about a lot of different issues that their primary elected cares about. Look, I think we have a fundamental disagreement between our two campaigns about what this overall election is going to be about. We believe that it is going to be about inflation, cost of living, jobs, in the economy, and that whenever um, we are being outspent, you have to use your resources in the most effective way possible, which means directly targeting those folks and talking about the issue they care about. Um, she has a lot more money. Look, uh, to put a finer point on it, she raised $22 million in two months over the summer. If you go back to 2018, our entire general election budget was $22 million. So she has a lot more money to tell a lot more folks about all the things that she's for. I don't necessarily think that's the most effective way, but it's a contrast that, look, we know we have a finite amount of resources. We're going to get outspent, so we have to focus on the things people care about.
0: Um, Cody, um, we have to get to a break. We said we'd let you go about, uh, when we got to our first break, but can we keep you for another five minutes or so? Sure. We'd love to. All right. Let's do that. Let's take our first break of the show. We'll be back with more with Greg Bluestein and Cody Hall.
1: Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else.
0: The AJC's Greg Blustein and I are talking to uh, Cody Hall, who is the commu- director of communications and a senior advisor to the chem campaign. Just as last week, uh, we talked to Lauren Growargo, the uh, campaign manager for Stacey Abrams. Uh, Blustein, I do have to point out that we knew it would happen, but Cody Hall was able, in answer to one of your questions, to sneak in the notion that, well, you know she wants to run for president someday. <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course, is a talking point for Republicans in terms of how they feel about Stacey Abrams. Um, Cody, you have talked a, a number of times now in this conversation about the kind of fundraising machine that the Abrams campaign is. And it is absolutely true they are able to raise astonishing amounts of money. But, you know, in the course of this show over the last year or so, one of the issues that I get feedback on Um, in terms of fundraising, more than anything else, is how unfair people have felt this leadership-giving law that went into effect that allowed the governor and uh, others in the leadership in the legislature to begin raising unfettered amounts of money during the session and beyond. I mean, the question becomes, uh, do you understand why... So many people think that's just been a, an unfair playing field for Republicans, for your guy, uh, Brian Kemp.
2: Well, uh, I would start off kind of how I ended the last answer is that um, once Stacey Abrams was allowed by the state uh, statute to have a leadership committee, she made full use of it. I mean, $22, or $22 million in two months, um, million-dollar checks. Um, she made up a lot of ground and, and, and then some and is now outspending us. I would say to folks concerned about money and politics, to make the point that I believe that a leadership committee is actually a much better way of doing it than a C4, which is a a political action committee where the donors don't have to be disclosed. A leadership committee, they have to disclose their donors every quarter, just like a campaign does. So you can see, you can print off the donations to any leadership committee and look and see who is giving and make a determination about whether that affects your vote or not. I think what we have to come to grips with is that um, money is going to enter politics. It, it's whether or not you, the public, can see where that money is coming from. And in the leadership committee, you, you can do that.
1: I'll right. stick with the fundraising topic. And, Cody, you know, the, the governor's campaign and other Republicans have blasted Democrats for all sorts of out-of-state fundraising. But is it kind of a moot point at this point? Because we saw in 2020 and 2021, the runoff's. Almost a billion dollars was spent, most of it from, raised from out of state, from Democrats and Republicans. Republicans talked about a 50-state strategy. And right now we have the governor, you know, he just went to Washington to have a fundraiser with Mitch McConnell. He's been all over the country as well, raising uh, all sorts of cash, maybe not as much as Stacey Abrams, uh, but for a Republican in Georgia, a significant amount of cash from out of state.
2: Sure. I mean, look, I, I think I can speak for our campaign. I don't necessarily want to speak for others. I think the money is only one issue. It, it's the values that are behind that money that I think Republicans and middle of the road Georgians will have a problem with. Is that the people that it, across the country that are giving to Stacey Abrams have a much different view of where our state should go versus normal Georgians and certainly the governor. Um, we believe in, in fewer taxes, fewer regulations, more freedom. And that is not the agenda of these folks that are writing her seven, eight, figure checks.
0: Cody, um, is Stacey Abrams a socialist, uh, as so many Republicans have called her? Is she a radical politician? We, uh, you know clearly that Forsyth County Republicans really uh, went out of their way to, to frame her as essentially an enemy invader crossing uh, county lines to come up and spread her socialist agenda Um, I get that campaigns are battles that sometimes get quite heated, but how do you, what is the rhetoric that we're hearing? And it's, you know, I get that some of it comes on the other side, but the Republican rhetoric strikes me as being so harsh that I'm wondering what it says about where we're headed as a democratic uh, uh, state, by democracy, small d. Sure. So, I mean,
2: I am more than happy to answer for any rhetoric our campaign uses, and I think when we say radical agenda or extreme agenda for Georgia, um, we can back that up pretty easily based on her her past policy positions, what she said on TV, um, and whether or not that may be different than what she's campaigning on now because she's running for governor. Um, So look, I I think that um, if you look at what she has said about the governor, what the governor has said about her, and vice versa with the campaigns. We have stick, and I think our campaign has stuck to the policy issues of we believe it's an extreme agenda to defund the police, eliminate cash bail, or or some of these other things that we have hit her on in paid advertising. Wait, um, do do you really
0: think that Stacey Abrams is – did you – we all know the context. We've all heard the longer soundbite on CNN. There's no question Stacey Abrams got caught. She was trapped by an anchor who kind of pushed her. But then – the, uh, the soundbite continues beyond what's being used in the commercial. Do you honestly believe Stacey Abrams wants to defund the police?
2: I can only take her at her word. Um, and look, the politics ain't beanbag. Um, and when you say something, your words are held to account. There are times that people have taken the governor out of context and it has made me mad. But I know that we signed up for this business. And that's the cost of doing business. Um, so, look. I think she has had the unfortunate um, habit of saying things on TV that she then has to walk back. That's not necessarily our problem. That's hers. Oh, Fair enough. Greg?
1: Cody, I want to ask you about um, uh, the other race, the Senate race. We, you, the governor's ahead in the, many, many of the polls in this race, but most polls show that the Senate race is deadlocked. And. Along with that, many polls show that the governor, who a year ago looked like could be in peril even in his own primary, is now supported at least in the AJC poll uh, by a majority. A majority of Georgia voters uh, approve of his of his record so far. So he might be one of the most popular Republicans in the state. Will he campaign publicly? I know he's had private events. I know they've been on the same stage or the same events. But do you think the governor plans to campaign publicly with Herschel Walker? Uh, in the closing days of this race?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, it's the governor has been crystal clear that he supports the ticket. Um, He obviously did not get involved in in the Senate primary, just like um, Herschel did not get involved in the governor's primary. Um, That's how this business works. Um, But look, um, we're going to continue to campaign with the entire ticket. And and the governor is, is, is fully aware of what's on the line this november in terms of control of the united states senate and um he and our entire campaign team and we believe republicans across georgia should want to make sure that we have a republican majority in the u.s senate
0: so cody um we're going to uh give you just another minute or so if that's okay um giving you about the same time that lauren got last week now um i've got to say something that jumped out at me and and this accrues to your favor in both the AJC poll and in the CBS YouGov poll that just came out today, um, is, it's fascinating that um, Georgians uh, feel like the country is headed in the wrong direction, things are not going well in the country, but they tend to give much higher marks to, the, where, to where the state of Georgia is headed. Um, it strikes me that that's the kind of, I get the UGov poll says 5four uh, percent of Georgians say the state is going in the right direction going well. Um, and, and, and it strikes me that that is something you're going to ride all the way to election day and yet, and yet this is going to be a very, very close race, probably.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I think not only the Georgia right direction, wrong track number is positive, but then I think if you also look at the uh, fave, unfave numbers of both the governor and Abrams, I think we have a lot of reason to be confident, but also um, making sure that we work hard to make sure that result shows up on election day, Um, whether it's over 50% of people approve of the, the job the governor is doing, while the horse race number The head-to-head, whether you would vote for Kemp or Abrams may not be reaching that fave-unfave number yet. Um, Look, in the primary, if you go back and look, our internal data had the governor's approval rating at 72% among Republicans. He ended up getting 74% of the vote. We think that this election will head that way, which is why we're making sure through our paid media that we are defining Stacey Abrams, but also making sure we're, we're talking about the governor's record.
0: Greg, why don't you get one last question in before we say goodbye to Cody Hall?
1: Yeah. Tony, at the end of many of Stacey Abrams' ads in her campaign speeches, she says the same phrase. She wants to pursue some what she calls generational changes without raising taxes. Your argument, one that you made again today, is that she plans to raise taxes. She is plainly saying she does not plan to raise taxes. Where's the proof? Where's the rub here?
2: Sure. So I would say to go back and look at her record when she was not running for governor. Um, In 2008, she wrote an op-ed during the middle of the the Great Recession talking about how Georgians needed to get real about taxation because taxes may not be fun, but they are necessary. Um, In the 2017, or excuse me, 2018 primary, WSD primary, between her and Stacey Evans, she said that the idea of tax cuts are a false idea. Um, She has been very open throughout her career in the state legislature that she was good with taxes as long as the taxes went to the programs that she was for. Um, and look, I don't think there's any way that she can promise over $2 billion in new spending without raising taxes. Um, it took her a couple weeks, once the governor signed into law the largest tax cut in state history, to finally say that she would not reverse that tax cut. I personally think because they had to go into the field and get polling to tell them what to say. I will take her to word when she was not running for governor versus what she is saying now that she is running for governor.
0: Um, we're we're about out of time, but but Cody, one quick response to that: How much yep. money has the governor been able to distribute out of both federal uh, funds and state surplus um, without raising taxes? You you say that she has two billion dollars worth of spending can't do it without raising taxes. You've given away an enormous amount of money at,
2: at the same time. Sure. But I think there's a difference between year-over-year year promising new spending of $2 billion each budget versus spending surplus money. And I would say that there's also a difference between the federal money and, and state budget surplus because both the CARES Act and ARPA do not allow you to use those federal funds to fill state budget holes. Only state revenues can go to the state coffers.
0: All right, Cody Hall, we appreciate uh, your joining us uh, for this conversation uh, today. Cody Hall, the Director of Communications and a senior advisor to the Kemp campaign. Uh, Cody, you know, we have been really, really enjoying watching how this race unfolds. Thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. Let's get to a final break on the show. And then Greg Bluestein and I will be back to talk about more in the uh, political races right now. This is Political Rewind. Remember today's political rewind newsletter day. If you're not a subscriber and want to get it delivered to your inbox on Wednesday afternoons, just go to gpb.org/newsletters and uh, you can join our uh, weekly newsletter. So, Greg, your thoughts about our conversation with Cody Hall?
1: Well, it's really, it's really interesting. There's a lot of the questions that we've we've kind of litigated on the campaign trail and our coverage. I was particularly um, interested in his response about campaigning with Herschel Walker because you know we we know they've been at events together. We have not seen them on the same campaign stage. And right now, uh, you know, there, there are many Republicans who believe that it's Governor Kemp who can pull Herschel Walker across the finish line uh, because there are still so many split ticket voters. And there's this belief that a lot of those voters will quote unquote go home, right? That they'll they'll end up going back to their respective camps and that those camp supporters who are backing Warnock will end up backing Walker even if they're holding their nose to them. But I see it everywhere. I see these split-ticket voters. I went out door-knocking for a story that we published earlier this week with some Republican canvassers, and, you know, almost immediately we hit a home where one of the voters just told these these young, polite canvassers, hey, I'm not voting down-ticket Republican. I'm voting Republican in every race but Herschel Walker's. I cannot vote for him. So um, it it might take the governor um, to help uh, drive up some of Herschel Walker's numbers a little bit.
0: Um, let's go to the abortion, uh, issue for a couple of minutes because you just in the AJC poll, uh, which you started, uh, uh rolling out yesterday and where you told us in the horse race that, you know, uh, uh, Brian Kemp is well ahead of Stacey. You have an eight point difference in between the two, but you also learned in, uh, in polling that abortion does not appear to be as, uh, mobilizing an issue as Democrats hope it will be. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's a mixed bag. This is really surprising. Um, only about 5% of Georgia voters listed abortion as their primary motivating factor. Uh, I, it might be because, and that's that's a drop off from our last poll, it might be because we had more issues in this poll. It also might be because many Democrats listed preserving our democracy, protecting our democracy um, as, uh, as one of their top issues too. But either way, our poll shows there's still a significant number of voters who are motivated by that issue. And there is uh, at least a fifth of voters who say that it is their uh, protecting abortion rights would more likely encourage them to vote for a certain candidate. Now, those tend to be overwhelmingly Democrats, right? So the question is, how much does this, A, move the needle with swing voters? And, and really, this is Stacey Abrams and other Democrats' sort of theory of the case here, is does it expand the electorate? We already know that 55% of the electorate is likely to be women in Georgia. Will it get to 57%, 58%? And how much does that change the dynamic? Our poll kind of, the AJC poll, kind of poured cold water on that thought because it didn't really show a a gender gap among women. It showed Kemp holding his own, statistically tied with Stacey Abrams among women and with a big lead among men. But other polls have shown a bigger gender gap.
0: Um, You know, you asked uh, Cody a question that uh, included pointing out that uh, you asked, how, when are we going to see a rollout of many uh, of uh, issues that Kemp wants to work on if he gets a second term? And, and in asking that question, you said that it's not an exaggeration, essentially, to say that Abrams has gotten, has 100 issues uh, that she's uh, uh, put out there. Um, and I wonder if you think that is to her disadvantage. And here's the context I put that in. In 2018, she was laser-focused on a couple of very big issues, expansion, full expansion of Medicaid. Uh, she talked about guns and the need to, be, um, uh, to have gun safety laws and, and, and to uh, stop the dramatic proliferation of guns. And I wonder if at a certain point you can have too many issues so that voters just don't know what you stand for.
1: Yeah, that's that kind of outlines the strategy of for Governor Kemp. Is you know he's had a few big policy rollouts and he's focusing on them, but also really focused on his record. Stacey um, uh, Abrams, you know, hasn't been in public office since uh, since before the last election, so she can't focus on a record. She can focus on President Biden's record. She can focus on Democratic record in Washington and Democratic policies here. Uh, but I think she's kind of forced. To go roll out all sorts of policy initiatives to show what a contrast she'd be. But you're right. I mean, some of these um, are, are, are issues that are at the tip of our tongues, right? They're, they're things we talk about the economy and public safety. Um, I was on a conference call with her about affordable housing, and she went into very deep detail. She had a grasp of that policy. But you also kind of leave wondering. How many people are going to vote on affordable housing? I don't think their, their campaign thinks it's going to be a game-changing um, issue, which is why they're focusing on the issues like economy and, and abortion they do think will be game-changing. But at the same time, uh, you're right, it kind of can diffuse strategy in, in their messaging. But I'll say that at campaign events, she's not necessarily listing all 100, right? She's talking on about the yeah. top 10 maybe.
0: Right, right. Okay, thank you. Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um so, your what are the exact numbers in your horse race between uh, uh, Kemp and Abrams?
1: Our shows fifty percent for Governor Kemp, forty-two percent for Stacey Abrams. So that's an eight-point gap, and the margin of error is three percent. So it is a, uh, a clear lead in our poll. Most other polls are showing, at least recent polls. Last week we had a few that were razor tight. Now we're seeing a few more that are not so razor tight. And look, we might see more razor tight next week. That's just the nature of polling. It's a snapshot. It's a snapshot of where the electorate is at this moment. It's not a predictor. Um, but I think people in in the Democratic camps, uh, people in Stacey Abrams' campaign, but also just Democrats writ large, know that they've got an uphill battle. This is a this is a uh, tough political climate to run in. Not just with a with uh, with inflation and uh, high energy costs and the like, but also, of course, with President Biden's approval ratings so low here in Georgia, at thirty seven percent.
0: Okay, so this the CBS uh, news, and this is national CBS, not local CBS. CBS News UGov poll, which just came out, has Kemp at fifty two and Abrams at forty six. Now, once K, if Kemp is over fifty percent. Um, that's a pretty telling number as we go into the last, like, what, seven weeks of this race.
1: Yes, I mean, obviously that that's his that's his marker. You know, the last thing that that uh, that he wants is to go get dragged into a runoff that could be very unpredictable. We saw last cycle just how unpredictable runoffs can be because Republicans have won every statewide runoff in the modern Georgia history um, until. John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock reversed that history and and swept those two U.S. Senate races. And look, we're also looking at potential, I think, the the likelihood of a runoff in the Senate race is very high. Um, And fortunately, at least for us Georgia voters, I think everyone will agree it won't go till January. It'll go until early December. They've changed the law to make it a four-week runoff rather than a nine-week runoff. Um, But I can tell you that the campaigns are both girding for that possibility of a runoff in, in early December.
0: In the Senate race, not the governor. In the Senate race. race. Point in,
1: in the Senate race.
0: Yeah. All right. All right. Um, just we've only got about five minutes left, but let, let me turn to the Coffee County story. Um, it's been obviously in the news for quite some time now. We know that um, a group of uh, Trump allies, Trump election deniers, uh, went into the Coffee County election office with a team. A, a team of IT professionals from Atlanta. They accessed sensitive voter records, um, and that's under investigation right now. And, and, and but now we have video that's been revealed that shows, even in more detail, they were in this uh, center for hours looking at uh, di- at, at um, data coming off of uh, uh, computers in that office. We know that uh, Kathy Latham, who is a, was a member of the Georgia Republican Party Executive Committee, is a, was a fake elector. And she had told investigators, she doesn't remember, she was only in there for a couple minutes. The video now shows that she was in there for hours. Th- this is becoming, I think, a significant um, controversy and a, a, an extraordinary breach that is likely to go to um, criminal charges at some point.
1: And I think extraordinary is a perfect way to put it because we don't know how widespread this was either. We only know about this because of a lawsuit that was uh, where we're you know county officials and others were forced to forced to put forward documents. We don't know if this was happening in other counties. And the other thing to to remind our listeners is, Coffee County is not some swing county with or or, or democratic controlled county, lots of votes. This is a sparse rural community that 70, voted 70% with Donald Trump. So this is a overwhelmingly Republican county, and yet Trump's allies and supporters who are pushing these conspiracy theories about his, uh, about 22, 2020, I should say, um, were targeting even small counties like Coffee to promote their conspiracies.
0: Well, there's also questions now about whether what happened in Coffee County in January of 2021 and how those machines were manipulated could in fact uh, have an impact on how those machines register votes in, in the midterm election in November.
1: Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's a reminder to all of us that come November, um, especially if it's a close race, we're not going to hear the end of these conspiracy theories. Uh, we, we we might have a, another Donald Trump rally October 15th or another date later on in October that hasn't been completely set yet, but it's likely. And you know he will use Georgia as a staging ground to continue, like he has in his other rallies, to continue to promote his grievances.
0: All right, last quick question. We talked about it with Cody Hall. Does Kemp show up at a at a Trump rally? Or does no he way. stay far away?
1: <laughs> yeah, he hasn't showed up in the last four, and I, I would doubt he, he'll be in the mountains if the if the president's at the coast.
0: <laughs> okay. Greg Bluestein, thank you so much for being with us uh, today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, again, if you joined us late, uh, Cody Hall was on today representing the Kemp campaign, and a week ago we did the same thing with Lauren Growargo of the Abrams campaign, because we think you deserve an opportunity to hear how both sides in this um, in very important governor's race are dealing with where they stand right now with Election Day approaching. Um, that's it. We're out of time uh, for today's show. Of course, we're back with a brand new show tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nygut. Please take care, stay healthy, and maybe I'll add again, go out and get a booster shot. It's pretty easy to do. See you, everybody.